We're going to go to the book of Acts, the second chapter. I'm so glad to see you today. Beautiful, smiling faces. Precious people of God. Amen. Happy birthday to the church of the living God. Amen. There will be people all over the world today. I don't want this to sound ugly, but there will be people all over the world today that will celebrate Pentecost. We get to celebrate it every day. If you've been filled with the Holy Ghost, you can celebrate Pentecost every day. Praise God. I'm going to do my best to preach to you today. Um, I told Bishop I want to bring this to the shallow end of the pool if I can. Um, We're going to dig a little deeper than a normal Sunday uh, because I want you to understand the true power of Pentecost and why it matters to us. Listen, the world's searching for relevance, but I want to tell you, there is nothing more relevant than Pentecost. Nothing. There's nothing more relevant than the power of Pentecost. And so if the Lord will help me today, I'm going to preach to you. I'm going to do my best to keep you from snoring in Greek and dreaming in Hebrew, but we're going to make it happen in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. I love this chapter. Let's read it. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, somebody say all. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When the Spirit comes in, the Spirit goes out. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You've heard me preach about it, teach about it. Uh, I believe even showed you a video some years ago. Uh, about the college, the university that was doing a study on tongue talkers. And they, they put a uh, brainwave reading machine on their, on their brain. And uh, as they went into prayer meeting, the frontal lobe of their brain, as they were thanking God for his blessings, was just sending all kinds of brainwaves. They got into prayer and began to speak with other tongues. And the frontal lobe of their brain, which is what produces your speech completely shut down and they were astounded the scientist said why would the frontal lobe of the brain shut down when you speak in other tongues it's really easy it's acts chapter 2 and verse 4 they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave the utterance he don't have to have my mind when it's his mind that's speaking through me i'm thankful today for the holy ghost now This is going to be a a horrible title, in my opinion, but I'm not working today to astound you with the title. I just want something to make sense to you today. Um, I try to do good sometimes because uh, Brother Jordan puts up the pretty stuff on video, and my titles are up there, and sometimes I look at our YouTube, and I'm like, what was I thinking? But I want to ask you a question today, and whether this is ultimately the title of what we preach for Pentecost Sunday or not. This is is what I want, I believe we're going to answer this today. Does Pentecost matter anymore? 
Does Pentecost still matter? Does Pentecost still matter? And if it does, then we as the people of God that have been counted have better stand up and make our voices heard. Amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been redeemed today, you have a right to say so. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I am going to, I'm going to cut through this uh, today just as quickly as I can to get where I'm going. But just being frank with you, there is no shortcut to uh, where we're going today. Pentecost fulfills so much in the Word of God. Um, in the case of the Israelites, God delivered them out of Egypt. And then he had to take Egypt out of the Israelites. I think sometimes when we read the story of the Exodus, we look at the insurmountable odds being stacked against them for getting out of Egypt. But the longer they're in the wilderness, the more we discover the most difficult part of Exodus was not getting the people out. It was getting what had been put in their minds out of them. Why did it take 40 years when they could have went a shortcut? Well, scripturally sound, it said the Lord didn't take them the short way because they would have seen war and repented that they left. In other words, they, uh, if they would have seen war and the Lord took them the short way, they could have died and been lost in the wilderness. Why is this relevant to us? Because it wasn't the will of God to get them out of Egypt and them die in the wilderness. I want to help somebody make sense of this today. The purpose of the exodus was not the wilderness. The purpose of the exodus was the promised land. But you've got to get through the wilderness to understand who you are to possess the promised land. God didn't bring them out of Egypt so they could possess the wilderness. God brought them out of Egypt so they could possess the promise. God doesn't bring you out of sin in Egypt for you to possess in this world. God brings you out of Egypt, out of a world of sin, for you to possess the promise. And the promise is not just the Holy Ghost. That is the promise that gets you to the promised land. I don't know if anybody still believes it this morning, but Jesus is coming back and there really is a place called heaven and I plan on going. Let me just jump to the end for a moment and tell you, it still takes the power of Pentecost to be rapture ready. If it's so easy to just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and you're ready to go to heaven, then the Bible would say that. But we're going to walk through the word of God today and we're going to find out, does Pentecost even matter anymore? Is it even relevant anymore? There's a lot of things that have gone by the wayside through the years. You know, uh, as I, if, if I told my kids right now, if I handed them a cassette tape and told them to go play it in my house, there's nowhere to play it. Because cassette players have become irrelevant. We've got all kinds of tapes in this church of preaching through the years that we've kept in the basement. Hopefully, uh, most of them would still work. But now, if you're going to listen to them, you've got to find a converter that takes the tape to a digital format so you can listen to it. 
Is what they said irrelevant? No. But the way that it's said now, you can't hardly find a place to hear it. And so what people want to do is, since the cassette is irrelevant, they want to make what was said on the cassette irrelevant. Well, I'm already preaching. They look at us and they say, why in the world are you so old-fashioned? Why do you believe such an old-fashioned way? Well, I want to tell you, it's still relevant and it's still powerful. And there's nothing like living this way. I don't live this way because people hold my feet over the fire and tell me you got to Listen, I do it because I love it. I do it because I'm thankful for the power of Pentecost. I do it because I've been redeemed. I do it because he picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock. I do it because I love it. I, I'm, I'm afraid... I'm afraid that if we're not careful in this world of cancel culture that we're going to do the same thing that cancel culture does to itself. It cancels itself. It's so funny. It's so funny to me. Uh, I was looking this week, maybe some of you have seen it, all these big companies in the world, you know, June shows up and everybody goes into Pride Month. Not everybody, but you, you understand the context of what I'm saying. And... All these people on their social media platforms and all this, now they've got pride, you know, this rainbow pride on there. But it's so funny because the same companies, car companies, BMW, Mercedes-Benz, all these car companies that have it on their stuff in the United States, if you look at Mercedes-Benz Middle East, they didn't change their profile picture. It's funny. BMW Middle East, no change on the profile picture. Why are they changing their profile picture? Because America puts up with it. And if we're not careful, we're going to buy into the idea. Listen, they're canceling themselves. They're not doing it because they care about pride. They're doing it because they care about money. And I'm going to tell you what's sad about that. Maybe I set that up on the T. I should have gave you a little warning. That same spirit is operating in the 21st century church. It's amazing what ideas we acquiesce to if it gets us another $100 bill. I don't care about filling up a church with tithe payers. I want to fill up a church with disciples that have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. And they'll never be the same again. So how does Pentecost do that? How does Pentecost fulfill that role? How, how does this work? You know, people look at, at, at us and, and they say, what denomination are you? And our, our normal answer would be, well, we're Pentecostal. Pentecost is not a denomination. It is not a New Testament holiday. It is not just something that happened in the book of Acts, the second chapter. Pentecost is old. Uh, many Christians believe that uh, it's just a New Testament holiday that the Lord birthed the church on in Acts 2. But I want to tell you that Pentecost is a highly, highly, highly anticipated biblical holiday. It was first celebrated by Israel 50 days after leaving Egypt in Leviticus chapter 23. It is a, it is a very, very powerful uh, deal. And we're going to reach back into the Old Testament today. And we're going to pull some of this together. But you cannot appreciate the full spiritual and prophetic significance 
of what happened on Pentecost in the book of Acts without getting a deeper understanding of what happened in the Bible. Somebody help June sit down on the front row right there for me, if you would, please. Sister Martha, somebody help her take a seat. Listen to what I'm saying to you today. You will never understand the power of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection until you understand what happened at Pentecost. The death, the burial, and the resurrection are part of the Passover and Pentecost is 50 days after uh, Passover and the days leading up to it. So what you need to understand about this is on Passover, God physically redeemed Israel from Egyptian bondage. But Passover was meant to culminate in the Pentecost. When God first spoke to the burning bush to Moses, he said, I will surely be with you and that will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt that you will worship God on this mountain Passover was not the end of the story Passover was to bring them out but Pentecost was to establish them Shavuos when the law was given on the Mount of Sinai was the climactic part of what God was doing he said I didn't just bring you out so you can say you've been brought out but I brought you out to bring order in your life so that you never go back to what you were yesterday the climax of Pentecost at the Mount Sinai, uh, the Feast of Shavuos, where it happens for the first time. God begins to establish structure in their lives that help them understand everything I've brought you out of. This world will, this word will keep you out of. Everything I've redeemed you from, this word will keep you from. I want to tell you today, I'm thankful for the blood of the Lamb, but I'm also thankful for Pentecost. Passover without Pentecost would not have been complete because the focus of Passover is redemption. Follow me closely. But the purpose of redemption is revelation. Are you with me? I'm going to drive this till you get it. I want to be sure it's settled in your heart. The purpose of Passover, somebody shout redemption. The purpose of redemption is revelation. Woo. We're going to walk down this road today. I feel the Holy Ghost helping me right now. The purpose of Passover is to redeem me. The reason I've been redeemed is that I can have revelation. Why do you need revelation? Because revelation, re redemption is what separates me. Revelation is what keeps me separated. I hope you never forget this. Thank God I've been redeemed. But I'm not going to stand at redemption and just jump up and down. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. From what? His intention was never to redeem me in my sin. The purpose of redemption was to get me out of my sin. But there is.
is a greater revelation that comes post-redemption. And that is, I called you out so you could be mine. I brought you out so you could be mine. I want you to be my people and I want to be your God. So what do you mean by all this, Pastor? Well, let's just keep walking the road. Redemption without revelation means I can go back to the other side of my redemption. Well, who would do that? That's silly. It happened three days after they crossed the Red Sea. The first thing that humanity wants to do is to go back before redemption. When he brought them out. It's the same in us today. You can tell when somebody finally gets revelation. Because when you get revelation, there's nothing on the other side of redemption that's even appealing to you anymore. If I had time, I'd dig in on this today. You do understand when the prophet came and it was finally time to get rid of that woman, Jezebel. And the prophet came and he, he yells out at the gate, who is with me? The Bible said that two or three eunuchs stepped forward to the window and they cast her down. You with me? We know that Jezebel, if you read about her, she was painted up. She was beautiful. She was seductive. She was a seductive woman. And that same seductive spirit functions in the New Testament church. It's even in Revelation. We can see that the spirit of that woman did not die. It's a spirit that continually comes against the church. But follow me very closely. Her beauty did nothing for a eunuch. Two or three eunuchs stepped to the window of opportunity. God, if I could preach this today, it'd be a miracle. Windows represent opportunities in time. Windows represent moments. And two or three eunuchs stepped to the window. What would have happened if the prophet would have called for somebody to cast that spirit and that woman down? But when they stepped to the window, they loved the woman more than they loved the word. I'm going to tell you what it was. They had already been redeemed, if I could say it that way. There were two or three eunuchs. They had already cut their flesh away. They had cut away from their life what would have caused that woman to be able to seduce them. When they came to the place of revelation that the woman has nothing to offer me because I've been redeemed. There's a moment in your life when revelation comes to you. I've already cut myself away from this world. So let those seducing spirits talk and let the winds of false doctrine blow. But I've got a revelation. I know who I am. Physical freedom does not mean that one is free spiritually and emotionally. Which is the greater goal of redemption. We see that the children of Israel were physically free. They were no longer servants and slaves to the Egyptians. But the invisible part of them was still bound. Oh God. Why is it that we celebrate. I'm going to get in trouble. We celebrate people more over what we see happen physically. My, 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 my. 
Here he goes. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you. If you're still wondering whether or not I believe in holiness, you're in the wrong building today. I still believe in holiness. And I still believe in separation. But I also still believe that holiness is not just an outward work. I believe that when God redeems us from a world of sin, that there is revelation that begins to work on the inside that will manifest on the outside. And just because it shows up on the outside doesn't mean that the inside has been fixed. I don't want to go to that church because the things they make me do. I don't want to go to that church. They're too strict. I'm not strict on anything. I just have something that happened inside of me. I didn't just confess with my mouth. I got filled. Somebody shout filled. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And when the Holy Ghost comes in, worldliness has to go out. There's not room for both in one house. Uh, I'm going to do my best to get there. We are redeemed. We are set free. We are absolved. And we are saved. So that the revelation of who we are in God can be known and understood. Is that okay that I slow down and get that to you? Yes, I've been brought out. But am I ready to be brought in? Man, I hope you all go back and listen to this. The revelation of the Lord at Mount Sinai to Israel. When the Lord spoke the Ten Commandments. This is the first Pentecost. This is the first Shabbos. Pentecost is just the Greek word. This is the first Pentecost and it occurred 50 days after they escaped Egypt. But why did the Lord wait 50 days? Can I slow down just a minute? I'm telling you, the Lord been rocking my world. I was trying to preach this to my dad in the office today. I hope you all like it better than he did. I'm just picking <laughs> I said, I hope I can do this. He said, sounds to me like you already got it. Why did the Lord wait 50 days? So we're going to get into some numbers right here just a little bit, but there's not going to be a pop quiz at the end, okay? 50 in the scripture represents freedom. Lord, that just preaches itself. Why you people got law in your life? That's bondage. No, I don't think you understand. It's freedom. <laughs> he that the son is set free is. The first time we see the connection between 50 and freedom in the Bible. How do you connect all these pastors? How do you know 50 means freedom? It's a great question. Because the first time that 50 is connected to freedom it is connected in the year of Jubilee. Everybody say Jubilee. Jubilee. Are you bored yet? Every 50th year in the land of Israel, 
All the debts were canceled. This is in your Bible. Slaves were set free. Land was returned to families that had temporarily sold it due to hardship. They had to sell it to get a loan. In the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, everything that belonged to them, they got back. See, it preaches itself. Are you with me? It's freedom. What I lost in a world of bondage, in the Jubilee, freedom brings it back. Somebody say amen or oh me. So, at 50 years of age, and I'm glad this doesn't happen anymore. But at 50 years of age, the Levitical priesthood was relieved of their service in the tabernacle or the temple. At 50. 50 years. They got their freedom from the tabernacle. Numerically, in Hebrew, don't let me lose you. The phrase, in the Jubilee, has the numeric value of 50. Everybody say 50. Now this will blow your mind. In your Bible, the Word of God, the Torah, mentions the Exodus event 50 times. 50 times. The exodus is mentioned. Why? Because it was the beginning of Israel's freedom. The children of Israel were in dire need of healing and wholeness for their souls and for their bodies after 400 years of abuse in Egypt. They needed to rebuild their relationship with God and they needed to rebuild their relationship with one another. Everybody say with God and with man. It's going to make sense to you in a minute. They were physically broken by the abuse of the taskmasters. They were spiritually beat down and broken by the idolatry of Egypt. The enslaved people of Israel had broken bodies, broken hearts, broken spirits, and broken minds. But the first step to healing and wholeness was redemption and coming out. If you want to be healed, you've got to want to come out. I'm doing my best to dig in this morning. I don't want to leave anybody behind in this place today. But you understand me when I tell you that you can't love sin and be freed from sin. No man can serve two masters. You're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You cannot embrace Egypt and embrace the promised land. If you want to come out, you can be free. It's difficult to imagine and fathom the multidimensional healing that God did in 50 days. 50 days. In 50 days, God allows them to adjust to freedom. And then he immediately begins to instill instruction. And when he instills instruction, oh God. You've got one or two choices. Okay? Is everybody all right? 
You can walk with me in my word, or you can go back. Is that pretty plain right there? Look, I brought you to Sinai. I'm giving you revelation of the word. So now you can walk in revelation, or you can undo redemption. Can I get an amen and owe me? I'll even go for a Baptist nod right now. He brought me out to fill me up. Mm. So, the miraculous healing in the hearts, the minds, the spirits, and the bodies of the children of Israel formed the background of the healing of what took place in the book of Acts, the second chapter. We're going to get there in just a few minutes. The background of Acts chapter 2 is not just a New Testament salvation. It is an Old Testament picture of what it looks like to be redeemed and not hate redemption. It's amazing to me how people respond and they say they love the things of God. This is strong preaching, I know it is. But I got to preach it to you like the Bible says it. It is not just enough to love righteousness. Come on, I'm going to get down here and preach it. It is not enough to just love righteousness. You have to love righteousness and despise iniquity. If you don't despise iniquity, then you don't love righteousness. That's Old Testament. Then apparently you haven't read Romans 1. He said if you take pleasure in their evil deeds, that your end is the same as the one that did the deed. This is scary for me as an American. Because the culture of our nation has taught us to fall in love with unrighteousness and call it righteousness. And this is where we see the difference in the redeemed, whether they say so or they don't. Let the redeemed of the Lord. My God, y'all are preaching so good. How do you know that they've been redeemed? Because they'll say so. They don't care about looking like the world. They don't care about acting like the world. They don't care about doing what the world does. They've been redeemed and they've got the revelation. Does Pentecost matter anymore? So on Pentecost, if I may say it that way for familiarity, on Pentecost, Shavuot in the Old Testament, Exodus 31 and 18, the Bible tells us that the Lord wrote with his finger ten commandments. I think we all like those ten, right? I think for the most part. Oh, God, this is scary. <clears throat> Let me try one more time. Don't we love the word of God? Yeah. 
This was not written by Moses' finger. Yes, they call it Mosaic law. But it was not Moses' law. It was God's law. And that's where preachers get in trouble. Is when they start making people do their laws. I want to do the laws of God. So I'm going to ask you a question, then I'm going to answer it. Don't you love people like that? When they ask you a question, they answer it. I live with four women. It happens a lot. Daddy, what are we going to do? And then they'll say what I've already told them we're going to do. I'm like, see? You know. So I'm going to ask you a question. Why did God only give them 10? There ends up being 613. Are y'all bored? There ends up being 613 laws. Why did he start with 10? I mean, why not 12? Why not 14? Why did he start with 10? Well, let's back up. We're going to roll through this, okay? I don't want to bore you to death, but this is so powerful for Pentecost. The Ten Commandments are the foundation of the entire Word of God. They are historically the moral foundation for the early church and for the Jews, for Christians, for Western civilization, for the Judeo-Christian world as we know it. That's why for years it was at the White House, it was at the courthouse, it was in the schoolhouse, and now they don't even want it in your house. But since details matter to God, and they do, the fact that the Lord gave the Ten Commandments on Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, may just be significant to me and you here today. Okay? So let's walk it. It's impossible to fully understand the greater purpose of the meaning behind the revelation of the commandments without understanding the power of why it was ten. So we're going to go back to the beginning. I'm going to take you to Wednesday night for about five minutes. Is that okay? To do this, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 1. The words, God said, in Genesis, God said, Happened ten times in the creation account. By means of these ten utterances, God spoke. God said ten times. And when God said ten times, He literally spoke the world and the universe into existence by speaking ten times. Stay with me. Don't let me lose you. And then the next time it makes sense to us is that 10 is the number of generations between Adam and Noah. Okay? So we've got the first Adam, we've got Adam, and we've got Noah, which is a type of the second Adam, so to speak, where God starts all over again with Adam. The Egyptians, I love this, endured how many plagues? 10. 10 plagues. Before Pharaoh finally freed Israel. Follow me. Ten plagues. Ten commandments. When God said ten times in Genesis. He took the world from chaos and darkness. To order and form. Ten times. Ten words. Ten spoken utterances. 
and chaos and confusion abated completely. In Egypt, chaos erupted ten times with ten plagues. But at Sinai, ten commandments said, I'll show you how to keep yourself from the ten plagues of Egypt. If you'll align yourself with the ten commands. If you'll align with the word, then the plagues of the world cannot affect you. You want to know the safest place to be in the end time? It's in Pentecost. If you'll get aligned with the word, you don't have to worry about the plagues of the world. Get in alignment with the word. Ten plagues were literally the undoing of the utterance of creation. God's word. Somebody say the word. God's word is absolutely the code for creation on a spiritual level. God's word is how it happens. Somebody say the word. When the code is broken, when the word is broken, the virus enters in. And when the virus enters in beyond the code, the only thing that can fix that to reverse the damage of the virus is to come back to the code, which is the word, and it interrupts the flow. That's how they fight against it. They've got to get the code to fix it. What is sin? Sin is the problem that broke the code. But the word is what fixes The problem. John chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning. And the word was with God. And the word. Do you know what's going to fix the broken code of this world? It's not a politician. The Israelites left Egypt. They were literally coming out of chaos into order. When you and I come out of the world, we're coming out of chaos. Oh, God. Come on, y'all preach it to me. Out of chaos into order. The Ten Commandments are like ten steps to spiritual freedom. They provide the spiritual foundation for Israel's faith, for their ethics, for their religious, and their civil law. They also serve as a bedrock for who we are as a nation today in the United States of America. In the original context of the Ten Commandments, the Hebrew Scripture calls them the Ten Statements. They were the Ten Statements that God made. And this is a significant distinction because the Scripture sets these ten commandments or statements apart from the other 603 commandments that are found in Torah. And here's the reason. These ten are fundamentally different because they are the foundational principles from which every other commandment stems from. All other 603 laws stem from the first ten. Pastor, I don't understand why God's not taking me deeper because you're trying to jump off in the deep end of the pool before you understand revelation. 
You'll never understand the deep things of God until you understand the first things that God said. Now, oh God, help me. In Genesis 15, God appeared to Abraham, who the Lord made the forefather of their faith. And he made a covenant with him which he promised to give Abraham and his descendants the promised land. Everybody shout Canaan. This promise would not be fulfilled for 430 years when they come out of Egypt. But when that occurred, God's children permanently removed. I don't, I don't even know if anybody's ready for this. When they came out of Egypt, ten plagues, ten commandments... And they went to inherit the promised land. The Bible says, your Bible says, that they permanently removed ten tribes of people that lived in their promised land. Ten plagues, they came out. Ten commandments, something went in. And when they walked in to possess the land, the ten commandments that brought them in removed the ten nations that were living in their promise. You want to know how you're going to win? You're going to win with the word inside of you. You're going to have to get the word in your heart. Jesus showed us in the wilderness. You want to know how to get rid of temptation? Get the word in your heart. You want... God, I'm about to have a conniption fit in here. You want to know how to overcome sin in your life? Get the word in your heart. You want to know how to possess the land? Get the word in your heart. Y'all okay? I'm going to try to get done. Man, I'm sweating up here like a hound dog in a hubcap hackery. Now, folks, I'm going to walk you through some numbers, and it's significant for a reason. I couldn't wait for Pentecost Sunday. I've been chewing on this. My God, I've been chewing on this. So when you start numbering... Things in the scripture, and I'm, listen, I don't recommend doing that if your, your brain starts looking like a Rubik's Cube after a while. This can't be solved. But the sum of the numbers of creation are the number 10. The sum of the numbers of redemption is the number 10. The sum of the word revelation is the number 10. When you add those three together, somebody say redemption, redemption. creation, creation. Revelation. In order, that would be creation, revelation, or, uh, revelation and redemption. When you bring that together with the understanding of creation, revelation, and redemption, the sum of these three numbers, creation, redemption, revelation, is 30. That's 10, 10, and 10. Somebody say the Father in creation, Son in redemption. Holy Ghost in the church. Creation, revelation, and redemption culminate in a name. And that name is Jesus. The number 30 can symbolize dedication, such as the Levitical priests become priests at the age of 30 in Numbers 4 and 3. Joseph was elevated from the prison to the palace at what age? At the age of 30. David... God anointed at about 14 or 15 years old, and he served on the first throne at how old? Good guess, 30 years old. 
Jesus was at the marriage supper of Cana of Galilee. When he said, my time has not yet come, he was 30 years old. When his mother said, whatever he says, do, do it. Jesus was 30 years old. As the creator king, the redeemer, and the high priest, Jesus literally fulfilled creation, redemption, and revelation at the age of 30. Now, stay with me. I'm going just a little bit deeper. Why were there two tablets of stone? We, there, we know why there were ten commandments. But why were there two tablets? Two tablets correspond to their structure. On the first tablet were written the first five commandments. Are y'all still with me? The first five commandments were man's relationship to God. The second five commandments was man's relationship to man. My relationship to God and my relationship to man. These are so powerful to us because when Jesus was asked by the Torah scholar, well then, teacher, tell us what's the most important commandment. Jesus said, right hand. The first commandment is love God. Second commandment is like unto it. Love your neighbor. Are y'all with me? I'm fixing to hurt somebody right here. When you bring together the numbers, the sum total number for the Torah is 611. This has frustrated scholars forever because they're like, God messed up. All these professors are trying to figure out why is the sum number of the Torah 611 when there's 613 laws. It don't make sense. Did God make a mistake? Did God make a mistake that the sum of the Torah was 611? So accidentally, there was 613. What kind of mistake was this? But while they were still trying to figure out the summation of the number 611 with the Torah, the Torah master looked at the Torah author and said to him, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the first is love God, and the second is love your brother. How many commandments is that? That's two commandments. You understand that the summation of the Torah from 611 to 613 rested on the man, Christ Jesus. The man said, you want to know how to be complete? I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So while you're still trying to figure out what's missing in your life, I am what's missing. And the focus of what he said was love. Man, if people could ever learn this right here, it'd change the way you live for God. He said, love God, love your neighbor. You notice he didn't say, don't do. Do you notice he did not say, don't go? Did you notice he didn't say, don't say? You know why? Because when you fall in love with him, you don't have a problem not saying it. You don't have a problem not wearing it. You don't have a problem not going to it. 
You can tell when somebody falls in love because they stop asking questions and they just start pouring it out. I love you. I'm so thankful I've been redeemed. I'm so thankful you brought me out. I'll give anything and I'll give everything. You complete me. I got to hurry. I'm almost there. But we all know when Moses came down the two tablets when he got down into the valley on his way down the scripture said that he saw there the people that still loved Egypt hadn't got out of them y'all following with me you okay I don't need more than 15 sleeping right now and Moses comes down off the mountain and he, he runs into idolatry he said, man, I thought I had it out of them. I don't even know what to do. And so the Bible said that he took what God had written. Oh, man, I wish I could do a six-week series on this. I'd feel better. He took what God had written. And he cast it down. And it was broken. The problem is, Moses... You don't have a right to break and throw down what you didn't write because you're frustrated. So God said, get back up here and I'm going to do this again. Folks, I hope you're ready for this. Moses goes back up, Brother Jordan, and God writes again. It was hard work for Moses. He said, go hew it out yourself. He takes it up there and God writes again the law on two more tablets. And it is said that on the 40th day when Moses came down off of the mountain with the word. That the words on the first tablet that were broken ascended into the heavens. Because God established it on a new tablet. Oh man, I could preach that forever. But here's what I want to get to your spirit. It was on the 40th day that Moses walked off the mountain with the law of God. It was on the 40th day that Jesus walked up the mountain and ascended to the throne of God. Are you following with me? There's some major power in what's going on right here. Moses walks off the mountain on the 40th day. And Jesus walks back up the mountain on the 40th day. How many days were left till Pentecost? Ten days. Ten Commandments, 120 people, and the Holy Ghost falls in the upper room. I want to help you understand that Pentecost is still relevant because it was not an afterthought in the mind of God. It was in the mind of God from the very beginning. And the scripture said that when Moses came down, that the word of God began to make right in the hearts of things of these people. But understand me now. Follow me right here. I'm going to mess with your mind. Because, Brother Robbie Herbst, on that day, they had fallen in love with idolatry. The Bible said that the Lord killed 3,000 people from Israel. 3,000 people. 40th day. Y'all with me? You with me, Lalo? On the 40th day, Moses comes down and 3,000 people die. On the 40th day, Jesus goes up. And on the day of Pentecost, 
3,000 people. Three thousand people were saved because what? What redemption alone cannot do? Revelation of who He is. I want you to know that when the Spirit of God came into that upper room, it wasn't just any spirit. It was the Spirit of Christ. He said in John 14, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come to you again. The Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us came into that upper room like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. I'm closing. Uh, I'm trying to finish. I'm almost done. I'm going to preach this one last thing and I'm done. I promise. But Bishop, I saw something I've never seen before in my life. I always thought that the second tablets, I understand man was involved. And I, I used to look at that. and Brother Grisham, I get so frustrated. I'm like, man, Moses, you're so dumb, man. Why'd you do that? But everything happens for a reason. Okay? The first tablets were broken. Smashed into pieces. We don't know what happened to those. If you read old uh, Jewish history, they actually say that the broken uh, tablets were put in the Ark of the Covenant with the good tablets. Because God don't throw anything broken away. But I saw for the first time in my life that the first set of tablets were broken, smashed. But the second that were kept whole is what made whole. Does that make sense? The second tablets that were whole is what made them whole. The first time he came, he was broken word. But the next time he comes, the first time he came, Isaiah 53 said, he was wounded for our transgression and he was bruised for our iniquity and the chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes and his brokenness we're healed. But the next time he comes, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. John said, I saw him. He had hair like wool and eyes like fire. He's not broken anymore. He's coming back for a church that has made herself ready. Don't you make a mistake. He may have been broken the first time, but he's not broken anymore. You may have been broken when you came to him, but you don't have to be broken anymore. He had almost satayan davokashai. 
Pastor, what are we going to do in this broken world? It's a mess. Brother Dan, it's a mess. This world's crazy right now. What are we going to do in this world? Listen, let me tell you what happened. Pentecost didn't eliminate the Roman Empire. It just built a church in the middle of it. I want to tell you right now, let this world do whatever it wants. We're not going to eliminate corrupted people. But Pentecost can build a church in the middle of in the middle of this crazy world and I'm going to tell you why it's because this world is not my home I'm just I'm just passing through my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue I don't know if you can see it this morning but the angels are beckoning from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore I want proof, Pastor. Okay, I'm going to give it to you and I'm done. The Bible said that Stephen was being stoned. But Stephen didn't look at his stoners. He looked at his finisher. He wasn't looking at what was going on around him. He was looking at what was going on at the right hand of the throne of God. You want me to tell you? How to get sick of this world? Catch a glimpse of heaven this morning. You want me to tell you how the things of this world grow strangely dim? It's in the light of His glory. It's in the light of His grace. If you'll catch a glimpse of heaven this morning, this whole world won't matter anymore. This may be the oddest Pentecost Sunday sermon I've ever preached. I feel like somebody in this house needs to know that your salvation was not an afterthought for God. You were always on his mind. So if people want to know, does Pentecost still matter? Oh, yes, it does. And if you want to be free in this house today, you can repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus, and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I believe you can have Pentecost today. You got to make up in your mind that it's not too heavy to walk in revelation because the purpose of redemption was to bring me to revelation and revelation will carry me brother Kevin to consummation when I stand before him God I don't know if y'all think about it much anymore but it sure seems like to me that here lately I've had it on my mind a lot. I got to thinking about that old song the other day, Mother, you're over here trying to play and I'm over here trying to preach on you. I'm sorry. I got to thinking the other day. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his children.